It's been a long time coming since 1986 when Ann M. Martin's The Babysitter's Club introduced America to Claudia Kishi, a 13-year-old Japanese-American who loved fashion and art. Claudia's presence in YA novels helped to inspire young Asian writers like Jenny Han to give the world characters like Flora Jean in her novel To All the Boys I've Loved Before. But we want more. We need more. On today's episode of Forks and Fangs, I sit down to interview my partner in crime, Jenny Wayne, on what it means to be Asian in America and finding herself represented in literature. So don't go away. Cue air horn. Burr, burr, burr. Mm-hmm. New segment alert. In honor of Asian and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, I sit down with one half of the Vulgar Geniuses crew, Miss Denny Wayne, to discuss what it means to find representation of Asian culture and literature on this segment we like to call Brown and Black. So welcome, Miss Wayne. Hi. I'm so excited. Been waiting new to do segment, this interview with you. Segment. <laughs> I would have done it that way, but you know, <laughs> we'll put it in post. <laughs> All right. So today we're going to talk about what it is to be Asian and what it is to find yourself represented in literature. So we're not to find yourself. <laughs> or not to find yourself. So let's get started. Um, so exposure to white culture has always been prominent in all media forms. Correct. Be it television, check, m- music, check, or literature, check, check, check. Whiteness has always been upheld as the standard. We, meaning all folks who aren't white, have also been held to an idea that we should consider only those forms as the standard as well as accept whatever misinformed juxtaposition of brown and black faces placed in narratives that have that they have given us to carry. Mm-hmm. White people can be seen as gatekeepers, thereby preventing voices of people of color from all walks of life to authentically be heard and seen. So let me ask you, how has this driven you to find literature that represents you and your culture? It started me on a journey that would never end (laughs) because you have to find something that speaks to you and is a correct portrayal of yourself Mm -hmm. your family and all the other people of color so you know like in literature what they consider as classics you look at all the books 99.9 percent of them are written by white people Mm -hmm. And what about, you know, the classics or the books that I've read in school that were written by people of my race? And, you know, they're not considered as classics. I don't, I haven't heard anything that, you know, oh, this is an Asian classic. Mm -hmm. No, it's not a thing. Mm -hmm. I invented that thing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Watch out for our post. (laughs) But yeah, so it, it would always be a quest. And I think it will always be a challenge for people of color to prove themselves that they can also write, they can act, they can do anything that, you know, the white world is telling them that they can't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the book, for example, let's just go mainstream right away. Like the book Crazy Rich Asian, it went into a best-selling, you know, New York Times bestseller list. It was 
made into a movie, then it's sold out. Just seeing that tells you the power of other races and other culture in mm-hmm. this country. Mm-hmm. And there is, you know, there is an audience. People want to be seen in literature. People want to be heard. They want their stories told. Mm-hmm. And it's it's sad that you have to look for it. It's not like, oh, it's readily available in books that are being promoted by publishers or books that are being promoted by stores. It's always like, you know, oh, most probably like 75% is written by a white person. And then like there's some outliers Mm -hmm. unless you're really, really good, really, really famous or or you've already won an award. You won't be in the same shelf as that. And these are, you know, new upcoming authors or like, you know, oh, what's new in this bookstore? Mostly white. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you really have to basically fight for it and, you know purchase it read it so you tell other people like oh there's a market for it and so it would encourage also other people of color to write it because if nobody buys your stuff you know even though you want to write why waste your time right right so it comes hand in hand so i think that has been a struggle and it's always harder to find you know books of people of color because sometimes they don't get published or you know it's only a small a small publisher that gets them Mm -hmm. so even though their stories are really really good it's always been a struggle to find them. Hmm. Um, there's a professor from Ohio State University. Um, her name um, is Rudine. I think it's Rudine. Uh, Rudine Sims Bishop. She's heavily quoted off, often um, when talking about diversity in literature. Um, and she says that books are sometimes like windows that offer views of worlds that can be that may be real or imagined, familiar or strange. Mm-hmm. A window can also be a mirror that transforms human experience and reflects it back to us. Mm-hmm. So um, as an Asian woman who has, like, you know, you've immigrated from Philippines over to United States, and as one who loves books as, you know, like you love to breathe air, <laughs> mm-hmm. when and what would you say was the first book that you read that you remember like finally seeing yourself reflected in, you know, that was, that was a a window that turned into a mirror for you. This is a really, 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 really hard question. (laughs) (laughs) Cause right now, like off the bat, I'm like, Oh my God, that, that's such a hard question. Mm -hmm. Like I have to dig deep and like far. Um, my first, I think exposure to you know Asian literature was in school but it's always like during the pre it's mostly based on historical fiction Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that's bad but it's not about you know stories of women and if we did read some of those it's just always like a like a short story form you know given to us by our teachers Mm -hmm. I probably would remember that there was this story about like an Asian lady about like and a story about a pearl that she owned Mm -hmm. so and it has to do something about like she has to give it up or it has it was given to her through marriage or something like that and when i was like oh you know as a young girl i was like oh they're asian and they're okay to be in a story like I guess she's doing something rather than being just a wife to somebody Mm -hmm. or, you know, just being in the background. Like, oh, you know, you you would sometimes 
they would be described as, you know, this little brown girl that had, like, you know, chinky eyes or, like, soft soft skin or whatever. Long black hair. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then the story moves on. But then on that story, I feel like she was the one that was, um, like, she carried the story. It was a very short story um, that we had a test on or something. Mm-hmm. But... See, even right now, I can't remember, like, the plot, what happened, what she what she did, and what made her different. Mm-hmm. All I remember is, like, she, ha- she was the keeper of the pearls or something. And that was, like, my first realization, like, oh, I could be, like, the main story. I, I'm not, like, the little piece at the side, you know, being described as a wife of somebody. Because mm-hmm. even, you know, because Asian, Asian literature also sometimes is a little bit more concerned on like the patriarch because it's that's how i guess society asian society has been built Mm -hmm. so it's always like the story of the man that you know he was a husband and he had to go to fight the war and like you know all the stuff that he had to do in order for his family to survive something like that when would you say is a book that you've read where where the matriarch or just the woman in general has been the 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 main character of the story. Probably in more modern literature, mm-hmm. like Memoirs of a Geisha, mm-hmm. the Joy Luck Club. You know, the Joy Luck Club really was like, I watched it first because mm-hmm. it was first school. So it was like different types of women. And I was like, wow, that's some depth right there. And later on, when I was a little bit older, when I realized that, oh, it was a book. And this author writes books about women. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind. And I'm like, there's a whole different world that we're allowed to be seen in different ways, that we're allowed to make mistakes, you know, that we can we can be as, you know, as crass or as, you know, whatever a man is entitled to be. And that's and- huge when you can be able to have... To be able to read something that presents characters that have all of these different complex complexities yeah. to them, yeah. you know, like all these different features that they're not holding on to this stereotype of how they should be dainty. presented. Yeah, dainty little white Asian girl, mm-hmm. you know, with like white skin, soft skin, black hair and like doesn't play, doesn't do this. But then there's other different characters. Like she smokes, she drinks, she she curses, she's unmarried, she lost a mm. you know, a child, right. and she's just going out and about doing her own thing. And I'm like, I'm not saying any of it is nice or any of it is right or wrong, but there is depth. It's not just like, oh, you're making a meal for your husband. <laughs> you're sending the kids <laughs> off to school. You know, and I'm just like that's the thing that it's really weird because like in Asian culture men are you know revered as like somebody that would be you know in a pedestal and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. it's the wife that runs the household and like oh you should respect your mom your grandma your sister but they're not their stories are not you know being written a lot Mm -hmm. Um, I think another one might be like a it's called a Chinese princess it's like a real story Mm -hmm. of of her being the unwanted child and you know reading that as a young girl maybe not I'm not even that young maybe I'm almost like in high school at this point in time and I'm like wow if I read this when I was younger I would probably have done you know I probably would have like researched more because it was like when the internet was up and coming you know I was like oh is this really a story Mm -hmm. she wrote it 
um, as kind of like a novel, but it's really a memoir of herself. And now that I really think about it and reflect on that question, I'm like, most of the stories that I've read about Asian women are about their own life. It, But people think that, oh, it's just another story. But most of it is based on real life. Mm-hmm. And you see how interesting it is. And you're just like, somebody lived that. And if you read that as a young girl, it would probably change you and how you would look at the world Mm -hmm. and would, you know, would be, I think, more assertive in like how you would make decisions later on in life. Because you're like, oh, if she has done something different, maybe she wouldn't end up in this situation, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which made it bad for her. But it seems like, you know, we are put in this cage and we had no choice. With you um, coming from the Philippines, like, what is it to have grown up, you know, like maybe your elementary school years and having children's books as something that you would, you know, go and read? Are those books, because I I don't know, you know, I can't Mm -hmm. speak on what children's books were like during the time that you were growing up. Was it something like, for us, a lot of Dr. Seuss you know, Cat in the Hat and all that kind of stuff? Or were, were you able to find more books that, you know that showed you as an Asian child, not an, you know, you know, the typical talking animal books. I think they were maybe like written of like Tagalog children's books. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it was in the eighties. I don't know if it was available, What was probably what I've seen in my house are all English books. Mm -hmm. And even my mom told me, when I was younger, nobody would speak to me because I only spoke English. I had to learn Tagalog. You have to verify that with my mom. <laughs> but that's what she told me. Uh-huh. I had no playmates because I was speaking in English. I had to learn Tagalog. I don't, like... Because I guess all my books and when, when they were talking to me, it was all in English. So do you think that could have also formed a barrier onto, into, like, what you could have read more of as a child? Oh, yeah. Like, as a child, it was all, like, Nancy Drew. And it was, like, the secret garden, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, these stories are so good. But she was a young girl, so I'm like, oh, you know, it's the same age as me, a young girl. But it's always, like, a white young girl. Did you ever see any of those books? Like, when you were reading Nancy Drew, and you, did you ever see yourself in Nancy Drew? No, I I saw Nancy Drew as my auntie. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is my this is my white auntie that solves all the crime. <laughs> but not, I'm like, I want to be her. I aspired to be her, but it was like, oh, it's it's never gonna be me because we don't look alike. It, you know, like the covers, the hardbound covers of mm-hmm. Nancy Drew, blonde, white, skinny, never gonna be me. Mm-hmm. And even you know the books that I really enjoyed like Little Women all women but all white too (laughs) see so all very white (laughs) little girls do you think that um when you when you are reading those books any book then that featured these white girls or white boys or whatever the characters were that you 
were like, I really like what they're doing. Like, you know, Nancy Drew was a fucking detective. Yeah, right? she so, was badass. So, you know, she was out there solving cases with the Hardy Boys and just doing her own thing. I love her, I love her to death. <laughs> Did you ever think, like, is this something that only white children can do in these at, stories? At some point in time, when you were a child, that's why I said I could never be her. Mm. I was just like, oh, you know, she's this, like, thing that's that's a breakable thing that if I... If I, you know, touch it too much, it, you know, it might disappear. Hmm. So it's like, oh, I could never be that because that's only for this type of people. That's like, you know, a, a thinking of a child. But of course, when I grew up or when I grew older, it's like, oh, you know, I can also be that. But then you realize what really it means to dream of something mm-hmm. as a person of color and, you know, dreaming you know, because it's like you, you know, you can you can't be a detective. You can either just be a doctor, a lawyer. You know, like there's this certain things that you know Asian people are up uphold to be, you know, like professionals. Mm-hmm. Or it's like when you dream, you're considered as a failure, but you're not. Mm-hmm. You know, if other people can do it, why can't you? So I could never, I could, I didn't really see myself like, oh yeah, I, I'll be a detective, you know, I'll be this, you know, cool detective that solves mysteries. Ah, I was still going to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, which brings me to my next question, because, hi mom, <laughs> you're, you're talking about like, you know, what, what you could have aspired to be, if you, I guess, if you felt like those characters were Asian, then you could be like, well, maybe I could be a detective. Yeah. And find me a set of Hardy Boys or whatever. Mm-hmm. This week, we asked listeners to send us their thoughts on Asian representation in literature. We gathered your responses, and one thing we've noticed is how much you all long to read stories that reflect Asian people, their experiences, and culture. Carla mother of two from florida emailed us and said so having mixed kids i want them to be able to understand that who they are is so much more than what others see they have a unique background and i hope that if they can read about characters like them that they will want to learn more about the different ethnicities that make up who they are one of my fears is that they become whitewashed and will not want anything to do with Filipino culture, let alone their Lebanese culture. Thank you, Carla. We also heard from two listeners in the Philippines. One listener, XY, called into our show. I think in any kind of literature, whether it is written by Asian authors or other authors, um, Asian people, Asian characters aren't really represented well only because they revolve around just physically describing them to the audience and I think um, I really do hope that in the other books that would come out um, they would actually delve into how this Asian character uh, moves, acts, reacts the right dialogue that they can use how they speak to the other characters I think it would be so much more interesting if someone would write that way and if I haven't if there is some kind of author if there is an author that does that then let me know (laughs) because I really want to see 
uh, that kind of representation for us Asians. And Celia emailed us about her love of reading. Celia writes, One of the reasons why I love reading so much is because I feel like good writers articulate my thoughts, feelings, and beliefs better than I ever can. Books help me accept and make sense of myself and my experiences, and this is much easier to do when I'm represented in the novels I read. Our last listener is Tony. She spoke about seeing herself represented in literature. Seeing myself in the literature I read gave me confidence. Growing up in two different countries gave me two different perspectives on representation. In the Philippines, there were various books about Filipinos in all genres. Seeing myself represented in books was the norm. When I came to America, I was lucky to even find a book about or featured an Asian person. If I didn't know that there were writers who cared to write about people like me or people who looked like me, I believe that it would have made me resent who I was or question myself while I was growing up. Seeing myself represented in the literature made me feel proud of who I was as a person. Thank you to everyone who emailed and called to answer our question. Now, back to the show. So, back to um, Rudy um, Sims Bishop. She says that when children cannot find themselves reflected in the books that they read, or when the images they see are distorted, negative, or laughable, they learn a powerful lesson about how they're devalued in the society of which they are a part of. Now, you are a new mom, and I'm sure you take pride in reading to your son. So how important is that when he gets older, he'll be able to find a book filled with characters that look like him and may have some of the same like shared experiences of growing up and being Filipino and Chinese? Oh, yeah. It's, I think it's very important because, you know, I would want him to love the same books maybe that I was reading when I grew up. Like so, what? It's Harry Potter. Harry we Potter. It's Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. But it's not as diverse because mm-hmm. it was, you know, it was written in the in the UK by a white lady. Mm-hmm. So that's her that's her thing. That's her culture right there. And that's her imagination. She's allowed to write about her imagination. But I think it's also important to let him read, you know, stories about people that have come before him. Mm -hmm. So people that have been colonized, people that have, you know, survived, you know, martial law in the Philippines, people that have overcome challenges because they were just brown. You know, yeah. You know, in the in stories, even even like. The Hispanic, like you know, stories written by by Filipinos. There, like they would always call. There's a term called Indio that was in this book that we were reading in school. That means like a brown monkey or like a brown slave. Um, if my teacher is listening, you can correct me. <laughs> but <laughs> but it's it's called that. Mm-hmm. So Filipinos are, you know, I think that's why it was embedded. To this culture that being brown is a lower form of like person like mm-hmm. you're considered like not as great if you were like a pale filipino because mm-hmm. it has been written about it and people read it and then it's reinforced so this there's an obsession for filipinos to be white mm. and you can see like you know the the brown goddess was never celebrated there was, you know, stories about, you know, myths and folklores about this, 
um, lady that made that governed the forest, but too far in between. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, she also she also died at the end of the story because like people just destroyed, like colonizers just destroyed the forest so they can take over, you know, the the land. But she was described as you know brown. Her long hair was her long hair was very nice, beautiful, this and that. If if you if you were like a young girl reading that and you were brown and you were like, oh, this skin color is being celebrated. But at the end of it all, I was destroyed too. Hmm. So what would you do for you to survive? So you would just conform to what, what you see, which mm-hmm. is white. Mm-hmm. But that's why I was like, it's important for for my son to know where he came from. Like, we are here in the United States. You are American. But what are what are you really? What is your ethnicity? This is this is what happened before you got here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you can't be acting like you're just American. You're more than that, and that's what makes you unique. That what makes your you know you special, and that's what you can share to the world. Because mm-hmm. once you see yourself in these stories, then you you feel like you're equipped. That you have an to me now as an adult, you have an edge above everybody else. You can speak like what three languages, four languages. Let's go. You know, mm-hmm. you could be anything. Nobody can tell you that. Oh, you're lower than me. Why? Because of my skin color. But how about all of these things that you know I've learned when I was growing up? You know, my mom and my dad never told me that because this was the realizations that I've read through these stories. I can overcome it. So whatever you know, I guess society would present to him. I hope he would be like, oh, no, I've seen the end of this mm-hmm. in one story or in one article that my mom showed me or my dad showed me. And I think I can I can I can do it. I can beat it. I'll be OK. Mm-hmm. It's just another struggle. It's not you know, it's not because like, oh, I'm half Filipino, half Chinese in America. This is why I'm having to do this. No, it's just because I'm human and I have to deal with it, you know. So, yeah. Good answer. So, since you're half of me, of the <laughs> vulgar geniuses, <laughs> or half of us, or whatever, um, you know, you you help to run the the social media account for us. Run is a you know. Oh, you run it because <laughs> I'm not doing shit with it. <laughs> run is a strong word. <laughs> I assist. <laughs> So, um, recently, uh, Lee and Lowe, Lee and Lowe is a multicultural publishing company and they publish children's books. So recently on Instagram, you reposted a series of graphics that date back from 2015 to 2019 as of last year that reflected on, um, who's represented in the rooms of publishing companies. So they stated that in 2015, the publishing industry overall was mainly run by um, 79% white people. Mm-hmm. And then in 2019, that number dropped only to a whopping 76% with only 7% of them being Asian mm. of Asian descent. Right? So, so if you had the opportunity to speak to a room full of publishing executives, what would you want to know about the books that they're publishing? as well as uh, making space for more people of color in those rooms. It's like me talking to a wall almost. Mm. 
that's how I feel about it. I mean, that's great that there's more um, books right now, you know, starting up, but it's almost kind of like the same stories. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's this immigrant going to the United States and there's a story. There's more to that. Like, I wish I could tell them um, that if they would just open up a little bit more to these stories, that there would be more diversity and the people that would probably be buying their books and I don't know what where why are they so scared of having diversity in their books um I don't know if it's a standard or an image that they uphold but it's just all very confusing to me oh we know it's a standard and it's an image that's true (laughs) we you know that's that's what has been imposed upon us since the beginning of time that color brown and black don't sell that's right and you know we're seeing more um more in terms of like children's books and YA books and even some more adult books that mm-hmm. are coming out that are being published um that have been written by people of color mm-hmm. but yeah they're they're it's, still on the forefront oh yeah it's it's almost like you're a supporting cast yeah of this like big big play that they're trying to trying to do um I don't really think I can convince them to change otherwise, but I can only expose them to stories of another culture, another person. Mm -hmm. Like, maybe when I go see them, I'll bring them books and be like, oh, you know, if you're interested in this, there's a whole plethora of other people that are writing these stories. Mm -hmm. But changing somebody else's perspective just because I wanted to be changed, I don't think I can change them. It has to come from them. But at least I can die trying. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, oh, here are the books, you know, children's books. Yeah, children's books. There's a lot of coming, you know, a lot of up-and-coming colored children's books, mm-hmm. which is so, so, so exciting for me. Because then, yeah, you look into my son's room. Like, there's more, there's more animals talking than colored people in those books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm just like, why? <laughs> That's why I really appreciate it when my sister gave my son this book where there's a story of, like, you know, how would you say this, like, an ABC story of, like, how would you say something from A to Z in Tagalog? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, it exists. But she had a hard time finding it. But when I would look now into social media and Instagram, it has been so eye-opening because then there would be stories there, mainly dedicated for children. So, you know, if this is a a certain publishing company, maybe I'll bring those books and be like, look, these books are also making money. Because I think that's all what it is, Mm -hmm. you know, money. These are their sales. Why are you not publishing them? Mm -hmm. I -hmm. think that's the only way to speak to these people. But I feel like they already know it, you know? Mm -hmm. Somebody's doing the research for them. But, you know, that's why I feel like I would be talking to a wall almost, but... I think it's really important to, you have all of these publishing companies like, you know, like Random House, Penguin, so on and so forth. The big ones. And they've been around for for, for years, right? Uh, Mainly ran by white people, Mm -hmm. businesses. So I think it's one of those things where in order for for books uh, that are about 
people of color that have been written by people of color they need to have, their... have to also be published by people of color yes. that we're having to create our own spaces and we know that sometimes when it comes to creating our own thing it doesn't come as easy as for other people no. because you know you're you're talking about money that is going to be like the foundation of what it is that you build mm-hmm. and um so it's it's hard to get in into those areas and trying to convince people like you know i have a publishing company this is what i do you know i've been approached by different people um who have their you know their their small little prints mm-hmm. uh but it doesn't it doesn't seem like it holds weight for a lot of people when they look at it and they're just like oh you know you're like an independent publisher this is not a real thing yes and so they're not able to get the steam that they need in order for them to build you know build up their wealth there no there's no momentum almost because there's no support right so that's that's the hardest part and it's like if nobody's if no if there's no group or there's no there's nobody supporting you. It's almost seemed like this is useless. Mm-hmm. So that, which is really, really sad. You have to create. Yeah, you're right. You have to create your own space for order in order for people to read you or publish you. Mm-hmm. And that's sad. Hire more people of color. So you would have more people of color <laughs> reading. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, that what you know, hire women and people of color. Because I think I think women are a little bit more adaptable. Because as long as it's a story about about a woman, I think you can always find a you know a relation to it. So if you hire more people of color and women, and I think you would ex- you would be surprised on what you would be reading on that panel mm-hmm. when you decide which which books are you going to release for June. <laughs> oh yeah, or for the upcoming year. Yeah. So what what is one book that you would want everyone to read? <laughs> That's so hard. It's like asking me what's my favorite food, which is impossible to answer. <laughs> one book that I would have everybody reading? Yeah. Just one book. Just one book. That's really hard. I've already said Harry Potter. Everybody has read Harry Potter. I mean, you could say Harry Potter again. I won't hate on that. Is it Harry Potter? That's not one book, though. That's like seven. Yeah, but it only takes (laughs) one book to start you into, you know, reading, reading, period. It only takes one book. And if that's a series, and if that series counts for you, then is that what you will offer somebody up? Like, would you want to give them... How many books is that? Seven, eight, seven, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. <laughs> that's that's what. Um, as a child, if you were, if you were in sixth grade and you were having, you know, you were sad, you have nothing else to do. I'd probably give you Harry Potter, but mm-hmm. not as an, a grown adult. That's different. If you were a grown adult, like right now, I'd be like, hey. You know, if I see you on the streets <laughs> and you'd be asking, like, what are you going to be asking me to read? This book that I'm holding. Uh, Pachinko? Yes. But oh. I, I can't tell you why. <laughs> no spoilers. Yes, no spoilers. But damn, this is good. 
it's been a while since I've read something that can keep me up at night. Mm. Yeah, this is legit right here. Okay, <laughs> so Pachinko by um, Min Jin Lee. Yeah, that's what you're currently reading. Yes. So that's that's the that would be the book that you would want to say, hey, I want to slide this into your your reading box. Yeah, like pause your life, read this, read that. I wish I've I wish I've read you earlier in my life. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it just came out not too long ago, so you're not far behind. Yeah, but it's it's been a while since I've put markers in my books. Mm. It's been a while since I've like stopped and just thought of like, damn, what what is happening? How am I gonna move on from this? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that you know it's. It's going to end well with me and Pachinko. <laughs> but, yeah. What would you say are your, like, your top five that that are the most influential in your life? I know this is a hard question. This is a very hard question because influential in my life. That has shaped your reading. I mean, obviously, Harry Potter, I feel like, would probably be your number one. Yes. Hamlet. Why Hamlet? It's so fucking good. <laughs> I know. Shout out to Miss Manan, if I say yes. Because she was the one that... It's it's a required reading in school. Mm. So first year, it would be like Romeo and Juliet. For your sophomore year, it's like The Merchant of Venice. The third year, it's Hamlet. It is, it's both my mind. It's like... it's. I, this is where I think I got my my love for like mystery and you know suspense because he just kills everybody everybody turns into a ghost there goes my magical realism love and i'm like wow and this was all written in like poetry Mm -hmm. and i have to like read this and analyze it i was having a blast (laughs) i'm that nerd (laughs) (laughs) but i was like wow yeah, I like swallowed that book. What would be your next three? We got Harry Potter, we got Hamlet. 1984. Oh, why 1984? I love dystopian um, books. And to me, that was like, oh, it speaks to this, like, um, it speaks into part of my head that was like, what if this was the world? And what if this was not the world? Hmm. And to me, it was crazy. You know, I think I am a little bit also leaning to like historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Or like something that has a basis and has depth and that really happened in society. I know it's like a hard read. Hamlet is a hard read. Oh, yeah. So, but once you get over that, you know, you, once you get over all of that, it's going to leave you with something not just like, oh, you know, they fell in love. It's like, oh, no, they were through hard this, like through this. Um, yeah, I wish I wish at one point in time, Hamlet, I, I mean, 1984 was written by a person of color. And I'm like, <laughs> why? Why? And that brings me to like um, the the story of like um, Murakami. He had like a sort of version of that, but I haven't touched that because it's like twice as big as Pachinko. Mm hmm. But is it a play on that? I have not read that story. So is it a play on 1984? I'm not sure. If you guys know, let us know. Um, but That's TBR. 
to be read. That's so hard. But yeah, I almost wish like this story is so good. I love dystopian stories because it opens like it's like, oh, this could be the world that we live on. Mm -hmm. That's the Virgo ness in me. I'm like, oh, yes, follow the rules. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Harry Potter, Hamlet, 1984. I got two more. The Joy Luck Club. The Joy Luck Club. Because that's when I first saw women being portrayed in different different aspects Mm -hmm. and even though they're not filipino they're chinese it hits home that's you know that's like i can identify like my aunts my mom my grandma and all the women around me and it's you know i don't i don't think i think it was the first book that probably made me really like not really cry but like tear up and i was like wow that's it's it's a simple story and it's it's just about their lives but it's real mm-hmm. so i think and how she wrote it made me realize like oh women can be authors women can be different things it's it's a whole another life out there that the world is not talking about mm-hmm. and why mm-hmm. and it made me question why 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 and you know and here we are now <laughs> doing and this here podcast we are talking about why and number five, what's rounding out your list? It's this story that we had to read also for school. It's about um, the 1970s in the Philippines. And this is when martial law was inflicted. And it's called Decada Setenta. It's just the 70th decade. So it's, um, it's a story about this mom and all his children. And all her children and how she kind of lost each and one of them through this, through just martial law. And there's a lot of killings. It's a story of their family. So again, it's it's very relatable. It was a story before I was born. And it was during a very tumultuous time in the Philippines. And it just, I, there was, I was really just shocking to me that this happened in a country where they proclaim Catholicism mm-hmm. as their religion. And I'm like, why is this all happening? You know, this is what happens when there's greed and corruption running a system. And I've always wanted, you know, I'm like, oh, I was always, I was always thinking like, if I didn't read this book, would I be as, you know, opinionated about the things that I believe right now? Mm-hmm. So it made me realize that not only white people can oppress people of color, but the same. Your we own can people. oppress our, ourselves. Yes. Yeah. So it does. You don't have to look far. Um, and as long as as long as there's greed, it can destroy anything. Mm-hmm. The world. Mm-hmm. So it made me realize that oh, you know, this is something that I have to remember for the rest of my life. And I think that book really helped me. And to the point that we had to create, like, we had, I don't know, we did something, like, we had to find stories about something. And I was so obsessed about this era in the Philippines that I had, I I read, like, I went to the library, got, like, newspaper clippings and put them in, into, like, a project and give it to my teacher. <laughs> yes. I love her. Her name is Miss Laksamana. If you're listening to this, props to you. She is, like, the ultimate champion for, like, Filipino literature. Mm. So, I, you know, I looked up to her and be like, oh, somebody is actually giving time to, like, Filipino culture, literature. 
and yeah i was obsessed about this like genre in the you know not genre it really happened but mm-hmm. at a certain time in the philippines shout out to the teachers because yeah there are, i i don't think that i would have had a desire to go out and read books written by people of color if it had not been for my 11th grade english teacher Mm-hmm. And, you know, prior to coming, I was in honors class mm-hmm. and we had to do a summer reading list before we started the year. And I chose there were different categories on what you could mm-hmm. what you could read. And it was like a group of books that went with that. And I decided to read on the subject of just like women in mm-hmm. literature, mm-hmm. like as the main characters of the story. So I had stuff like Anna Karenina. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the stories was their eyes were watching God, and I think for me, reading that book, I, I had never read anything like that before. Mm-hmm. You know, you have this woman who I I remember hearing about Zora Neale Hurston ever since I was little because there was a festival that happened over in Eatonville that celebrated her, but not ever like really reading her work up until the time I was like sixteen years old. Mm-hmm. And it, it it does something to yeah. you when you find something that you that touches your core so hard that you not only want to read the book, but you want to read everything by the person who read who wrote the book. <laughs> you want to go and do the research like you did the whole project and gave it to your teacher. It, mm-hmm. Like I have a fucking tattoo on my arm because I'm so <laughs> in love with this story. So I, I totally get that of what it is. And I, I'm appreciative of all the teachers who are willing to yeah. who to put that work out for you and That's, say, this is what you need to exactly. read. Because, like, you know, it, they, when you were a child, it, it's like a chore. Oh, my God, we're going to read this mm-hmm. book that it's about, like, you know, this little African village. Things fall apart. Mm-hmm. Magic. That's, like, blew my mind. I'm sorry I cannot remember my teacher's name, but we were in sophomore year in English she had she had that book and i was just like wow i think i i don't know maybe i was like one of the few that really liked that story <laughs> but i was like wow there's a whole different country a whole different world you know when you're when you're 15 and 6 or 16 your world is so small you you think this is the end all and be all of things mm-hmm. but when you read books you you can go to different places and you see that oh no bitch you're not don't be self-centered cuz it's not all about you right you know, so it was, it was just like life changing. Yeah. Yeah. The last book that I cried, you should read this. I know it's not a person of color. <laughs> All the light we cannot see. Please read it. That is one book uh, that was really popular when I used to be a high school librarian. Children would come and, and check that out. But it would be like the AP students that would come. But they would be on this hunt to find the book. I could never keep yes. it on the shelf. So I definitely have to add that to my reading list. It's good. I like stories. Now that, you know, if this is if this is like the genres that you go for too. So I like some that does with like historical fiction. A lot of stories about women and their family. I like good family stories. I like magical realism. And I just really like sad stories. <laughs> Sometimes it's good sad story is what you need. You just be like, uh, heart wrenching. Yeah. You just ripped my heart out. I can't believe I read it. That was the last story that I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I crying because of this book? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I want to say thank you for joining me here in our little Yay. studio as we um, studio as we pay pay homage to all of those that came for before us to write wonderful books for us to read and those that will come after us. We encourage everyone who who loves to write, who loves to read, keep writing. Keep writing, keep reading and and show us who we are in yeah. all of it. You know, if you have to start in a YA book, who cares, you know? Mm-hmm. That, because that's a first-person point of view. That's usually how it goes, you know? When you're like, oh, you know, it feels like it's me, then it it really would blow your mind and it would, like, change in how you would read and how you would pick up books. Yes. There was a point in time when I was just picking up books, you know, written by women of color. And I was like, I should, I should probably change it up a little bit just so I could read other stuff. But I was like, why? This is this this is what I'm drawn to, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. Amen to that. And a special shout out, thank you to all of those who called in and who sent their text messages um, about your thoughts of what it is. Yes, to, thank you so much. To see thank you for all the support. Literature. For Forks and Fangs under Vulgar Geniuses Book Club and Instagram. <laughs> so, all the shout-outs. All the shout-outs, all the things. So on that note, we will say goodbye. Bye. Take Hope- care. Be safe out there. Wear your mask. And wash your hands. We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.